Hi, everyone. The reading for this evening is from John chapter 15. It's on page 928 of the Church Bibles. That's John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. 
But this is to fulfill what was written in the law. They hated me without reason. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Megan. Good evening, church. Nice to see you all. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you. And welcome to all those watching online. We're going to pray and ask God to speak to us through his word tonight. So please join with me. Father, we've sung about your goodness and we declare now that you are good and we thank you that you continue to reveal your goodness to us through your scriptures. Father, we come humbly tonight to sit under your word. Father, would you please speak to our hearts and to our minds and to our wills. Would you reveal glorious truths from your word tonight and we ask that not for our sake but for the sake of your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here's our question tonight. What is the the secret, what's the secret to a God-glorifying, Jesus-magnifying, spirit-filled, fruit-bearing life? What is the secret to a God-glorifying, Jesus-magnifying, spirit-filled, fruit-bearing life? How would you answer that? What's the secret of your Christian life? I became a believer uh, 32 years ago. In my second week as a believer, I had afternoon tea in Oxford with a man in his 90s. His name was Harold. And he'd been a Christian for 70 years. He loved Jesus. In his retirement, he decided to write a letter to a mission partner every single day. And I asked him, what's the secret for a long Christian life? He said this, keep loving Jesus, read your Bible, and do what it says. Keep loving Jesus, read your Bible, and do what it says. Do you remember Peter Bradhurst? Our dear brother Peter, who's now in glory. He walked with the Lord for, what, 50, 60 years. His life wasn't easy. You may not know that. His, His first wife was killed in a car crash. One of his sons drowned when he was five. But through all those trials, all those tragedies, he, he clung on to Jesus. He didn't actually think he bore much fruit. Little did he know he impacted so many of our lives. But he just stuck with Jesus. He just kept on loving Jesus through thick and through thin. If I could have a couple up on stage tonight who are celebrating their, their diamond wedding anniversary. And if I asked them, what's the secret for a long, happy marriage? I think they would say, just keep loving each other. Be faithful to each other. Be committed to each other through thick and thin. Just stay close to each other. It's not rocket science. And John 15 is not rocket science. He's saying if you want to have a a God-glorifying, Jesus-magnifying, spirit-filled, fruit-bearing life, just stick close to Jesus. Just remain in Jesus. We're in John chapter 15. It's a great chapter just to set the context. Uh, Chapters 13 and 14, if you you know John's gospel, uh, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. They're celebrating the Passover meal. But it's been this this series of hammer blows. Remember that? Uh, Jesus said he's going to die. Jesus predicted someone's going to betray him. That's Judas. He said that Peter is going to deny him. And then he's told them he's going to go away. And where he's going, they cannot come. And then he said, I'm going to send another counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And chapter 14 ends. Look at the end of chapter 14, verse 31. Come now, he says, let us leave. And so Jesus and the disciples, they they leave the upper room 
and they're heading down towards Gethsemane. And they're walking down what's called the Kidron Valley or the Mount of Olives. And on that road, you'd have vines on either side of the road. And as Jesus often does, he he looks around him and he spots a natural visual aid to teach deep spiritual truths. That's what he's doing here in John 15. So here's a vine. It's on the screen. Now, if I asked you, is that vine healthy? What would you say? Yeah, why is it healthy? It's got grapes, it's got fruit. If there were no grapes, if there were no fruit, you begin to question, is that, is that vine really healthy? And if you just saw bits of wood, bits of branches lying off on the, on the ground, you say, oh no, they're dead, that's dead wood. It's really quite simple, John, John 15. If you want to bear fruit, make sure you're connected to Jesus. If you stay with Jesus, you'll bear fruit. That, that is John 15. John 15 in three words is this, abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Walk closely with Jesus. Go deep into Jesus because you can do nothing without him. That word abide, it comes 11 times in this chapter. Our translation says the word remains. Look at verse 4. Remain in me. Abide in me as I also abide in you. See that, that mutual abiding, that mutual indwelling, we're one flesh with Jesus. What does that word abide mean? It means to, to stay connected. It means to remain in close contact. It means to be intimate with. It means to live in deep communion with Jesus. Uh, J.C. Ross says it best. He says this, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with Jesus. To be always leaning on Jesus, always resting on Jesus, always pouring out your heart to Jesus and using Jesus as your fountain of life and strength. He is your chief companion and your best friend. That's what it means to abide with Jesus, to see Jesus as your best friend, your companion, the source of life, the source of strength. Abide in Jesus, he says, because Jesus is your life source. It's like when you visit the ICU and someone's on a life support machine. That is their life source. They've got to stay connected. It would be really stupid of that patient to think they didn't need that life support. Oh, just just turn off. I don't need it. And it's really stupid of us as Christians to think that we could do anything in life without Jesus. Corrie Ten Boom says, connected with Jesus... In his love, I am more than a conqueror, but without him, I am nothing. And that's what Jesus says in verse 5. Look at it with me, verse 5. He says, if you remain in me, abide in me, connected with me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You'll naturally bear lots of fruit. Apart from me, without me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? Without Jesus, apart from Jesus, you can do no good thing. Church, I really wish we believed that statement. I really wish that we all believe that without Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. The Apostle Paul says exactly the same thing, but for the other perspective in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things, everything, through Jesus who gives me strength. So the Bible covers both ends of the spectrum. Now, with Jesus, you can do all things. Without Jesus, you can do 
Nothing. Nothing with, without Jesus, everything with Jesus. So why do we try and sort of live life in the middle? Why do we try and do uh, some things with Jesus, but then other, th- other things without him? Why do we really think that we are self-sufficient and self-reliant? It's really black and white. Without Jesus, we can do no good thing. I love this quote. Too often we don't really believe that we can do nothing apart from Jesus. We, we like to think that we have enough principles and practical tips to parent our kids. We think we have enough experience and advice to enjoy a good marriage. We think we've been to enough small group Bible studies to know how to help other people grow. We think we have learned enough evangelism techniques to make converts ourselves. We think we've done church long enough to safely say we can build a strong congregation through activities, programs, and techniques. We can accomplish nothing of lasting spiritual value apart from Christ. Without dependence on Christ, without a daily reliance on him and his resurrection power working in us, our activity is nothing more than dead religion. Real spiritual fruit only grows when we abide in Christ. Now, church, do we believe this? That real spiritual fruit only comes when we abide in Christ, remain in Christ. Let me give you three reasons why we must abide in Jesus. Here's the first one. Because Jesus is the true vine. Because only Jesus is the true vine. He says that twice, verse 1 and verse 5. Look at it with me. Verse 1, I am the true vine. Verse 5, I am the vine. This is the last of the seven I am statements of Jesus. Remember, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. Here it is, I am the true vine. But that's a bit obscure. What does he mean, I'm the true vine? You've got to understand the Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament, uh, God's people, Israel, were called the vine. They were chosen by God. They were planted by God to bear good fruit for God. And God loved his vine. Look on the screen, Isaiah chapter 5. says this. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield any bad? Now I'll tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll take away its hedges and it will be destroyed. I'll break down its walls and it will be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow there. I'll command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah. And the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So so God did everything for this vineyard. God planted it. God watered it. God tended it. God cared for it. The vine wanted for nothing. The problem's not with the gardener. The problem's with the people. The people were unfaithful. Unrighteous, unjust, ungodly. 
unfruitful. And you can almost hear the, the pain in God's voice as he's, he's saying, what choice have I got to, but, but to destroy this vine? It is not the true vine. And now read John 15 verse 1. Jesus steps into the world and says, I am the true vine, the real deal. I am the one who is perfectly righteous and perfectly just. I am faithful, I am true, I'm never arrogant, never proud, I'm always godly. And so God's vine is no longer in a place called Palestine, it's in a person called Jesus. It's no longer in a race called Israel, it's in a person, his name is Jesus. So why is Jesus the true vine? A few reasons. He's the true vine because he's the only one who can clean us, cleanse us. Look at verse 3. It says, says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now now remember what's just happened a few hours earlier. A few hours before this, what was Jesus doing with his disciples? Remember that? He was washing their feet. And he said, look, you are clean. All of you are clean, except Judas. But you need to keep on washing your feet. He's saying, I am the one who can cleanse you, who can clean you, who can cleanse you of your sin. He's saying, I am the one who has already cleaned you. What can take away your sin? What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So in all our filthiness and all our shame and all our sorrows, you come to Jesus as the true vine and he really cleanses you once and for all. He's the vine because he not only cleans you, but he loves you. Verse 9 is staggering. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, says Jesus. As the Father has loved me. How did the Father love the Son? He loved him before time began with his intimate devotion. He he loved him with his endless, all-sufficient, never-ending reservoir of love. And in the same way that the Father loved the Son, so the Son loves us, loves you and me, with his endless, all-sufficient, never-ending reservoir of love with his devoted, undeserved, gracious, personal, sacrificial love. That's why he says in verse 13, greater love has no one than to lay down a life for a friend. That's how much Jesus loved you. He laid down his life for you. He sacrificed his life for you. He was pierced for your transgressions. So he's a true vine because he cleans you. He loves you. And he's a vine who, who befriends you. I've been really struck by verses 14 and 15. He says, you are my friends. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants or slaves because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. That's extraordinary. He's saying, sure, I'm your master and I'm your saviour and your lord, but I'm also your friend. Do you ever see Jesus like that as your friend? What a friend we have in Jesus. Do you know the story behind that hymn? It's an extraordinary story. That hymn was written by a man called Joseph Scrivens. When Joseph was 25, he lived in Ireland. He He was engaged to a woman who married and the day before the wedding, the day before the wedding, his fiancée accidentally drowned. In his grief and despair, he fled Ireland and went to Canada. 
few years later, he met another woman called Eliza and fell in love again and got engaged to be married. Three weeks before the wedding, she contracted pneumonia and she also died. Soon after that, his mother in Ireland was dying and he couldn't get back to see his dying mother. He couldn't go back to see her, so he wrote a poem. And the poem said, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials or temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Here it is. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows your every weakness. So take it to the Lord in prayer. That is the truth. Can you find a friend as faithful as the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer is no. He's a friend who multiplies your joys, who comes into your griefs, someone who comes in to meet you when the rest of the world leaves you by yourself. That's why he's this vine. He's, he loves you, he cleans you, he befriends you, and he chooses you. Jesus picks his friends very carefully. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's an important biblical truth. Jesus chose you, not the other way around. He's like those wealthy celebrities or important people who everybody wants to be their friend, but they choose their friends very carefully. That is Jesus. He chose us. When did he choose you? Before you were born. Before you were born. Spurgeon says, it's a good thing that God picked me before I was born because he probably wouldn't have picked me afterwards. This is why Jesus is the vine. He, he, he cleanses you, he loves you, he befriends you, he chooses you. And my question is, why wouldn't we stick with him? Why would you go anywhere else apart from Jesus? It's a bit like when you're stuck underwater and you're in a submarine and you're safe in the submarine. It would be really, really stupid of you to say, I don't need this submarine anymore. Of course you do. It'd be stupid to say, oh, the submarine was, the submarine was great to start off with, but I've moved on to better things. We start with Jesus, we stick with Jesus, we end with Jesus. Now, if Jesus is the vine, the question is, who are you? Who am I? We're not vines. We're just the, just the branches. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. You, his disciples, his followers, you and me, we are, we're just branches, and branches need to stay connected to the vine, connected to Jesus. I don't know if you ever thought of yourself as a, vine, as a branch before. Now, being a branch is actually really humbling, isn't it? I'm just a branch, you're just a branch. We are not the source of life. We're not self-sufficient. We're not self-pardoning. We can't do this life alone. We need the vine. And can I humbly say, please stop having an over-inflated view of yourself. You might be the most successful person in the eyes of the world in this church family, but you're still just a branch. You know better branch, you know worse branch than anybody else in this room tonight. Now, branches are weak. Branches need to keep drawing strength from their life source. They need to stay connected. And it's actually quite liberating. I don't need to be anything more than a branch. You don't need to be anything more than a branch. You can't be anything more than a branch. 
So stop the comparison game. You're just a branch. So Jesus is the true vine, number one. Number two, our Father is the gardener. Our Father is the gardener. Verse one, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. That's God's job, to garden his vineyard. So so every vineyard has an owner and every vineyard owner tends and cares for his his vine. He he knows the branches. He clips, he cuts, he has meticulous care. He waters, he fertilizes, he prunes. That's not my job or your job, that's God's job. And God is your gardener. God as your gardener, he, he knows you and he cares for you and he's concerned for your for your well-being. He's concerned for your fruit-bearing. Look at verse 2. As a gardener, he, God, the Father, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So according to verse 2, there are some branches that are fruitless, Verse 2, some believers who are living a fruitless life, that there's no growth, there's no fruit of the Spirit, there's no obvious love, there's no Jesus oozing from them. But look carefully at verse 2, because I think we misread it. He cuts off every branch in me. So they're still in Jesus, they're still connected to Jesus, they're still believers, they're just fruitless believers, they're not bearing fruit anymore. So verse 2 is actually different to verse 6. In verse 6, he's talking about people who are not believers. They're just hanging around the vine, but they're not really connected. And those dead wood, those dead branches will be thrown away and burned in the fire. But he's not talking about that in verse 2. He's talking about fruitless believers. They're in Jesus. So a true believer cannot lose their salvation, can they? God will hold on to his for all, all eternity. So the problem in verse 2 is, is our translation is not particularly good. Let me read verse 2 literally. He picks up every branch in me that bears no fruit. That's quite different, isn't it? He picks up every believer in me that bears no fruit. Now, if you imagine a vine... And there's some branches that are on the ground, in the mud, in the dirt. They're still connected to the vine. But these branches in the mud, in the dirt, they, they can't produce fruit. And they need somebody to come along and to, to pick them up. And to pick them up and to attach them again to the vine so that they will actually start to bear fruit again. That's what God is promising here. In his kindness, in his care, he cares for believers enough to say, I don't want you to lead a fruitless life. So I'm going to pick you up again so you can start bearing fruit again. And I've seen God do that in so many people in his church. People who have been believers in Jesus for many, many, many years, but their lives have been fruitless. No joy, no peace, no love. And then suddenly... God comes into their life and it's like a second awakening and they're on fire for Jesus and they're reconnecting with Jesus and their lives, their character, their conduct, they're converting all over the place. Now maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're a branch that's just wallowing in the mud and dirt of this world. You do believe in Jesus, but your lives are fruitless. If that is you, 
perhaps dare to ask God, please God, pick me up, lift me up again, that I might bear fruit for you in this life. So God picks up some branches. And then verse 2, God prunes other branches. So every branch that does bear fruit, the, the, the fruit-bearing Christians, he loves them enough, he cares for them enough to prune them so they'll be even more fruitful. Let me ask you, what, what's the most important role of the gardener? He plants, he waters, he fertilizes, and then he prunes. That word means he cuts back. He removes unhelpful stuff. Now, pruning is not, not nice. It is painful. It hurts to be pruned. But there's a purpose here. The purpose, verse 2, is he wants you to be even more fruitful. God loves you enough to prune you so you'll bear more fruit for his glory. In his kindness, he takes the knife and he cuts us. And ouch, we don't like it. And ouch, God, I don't like that. But God is doing that so we can bear more and more and more fruit. So how does God prune us? I think there's two ways God prunes it, through Scripture and through suffering. Through Scripture and through suffering. Uh, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. So if the words of Jesus remain in us, they've been recorded by the Scriptures, so if the Scriptures remain in us, so if we come to the Scriptures, we open the Word of God, and it's not always comfortable. Sometimes it's quite confronting. According to the Bible, a scripture is like, like a mirror that reveals your true self. And sometimes that hurts. And scripture is like a, a knife, Hebrews 4. It's like a double-edged sword. It cuts you. It hurts you. Ever had that experience? And you're reading the Bible and you come across this verse and it's really confronting. Get rid of all bitterness. Pray for your enemies. Ouch, don't like that. Fathers, don't exasperate your kids. Oh, I find that one hard. Love your enemy. The love of money is the root of all kind of evil. Ouch. And the question is, will you allow your father to cut you as you read the scriptures? Or will you cut out those bits of scripture that you don't like? Because if you allowed him to prune you, you might bear more fruit for his glory. So he proves through the scriptures and through suffering that the most God-glorifying, Jesus-magnifying, spirit-filled, fruit-bearing Christians have all suffered. They've all suffered. That's how God tends to work. He uses ill health, heartache, hostility, hatred, disappointment, disaster to refine us, to prune us, and to grow us. And I know that we hate suffering, and I know we all wish we didn't have to suffer, but it's one way that God prunes us. Hebrews 12, God disciplines those that he loves. James 1, consider pure joy when you face trials of all kinds because you know that God is working in your faith to bring perseverance and character and hope. I learned something about pruning this week. You, you, you are never closer to a branch than when you're pruning it. You can water from a distance. You can fertilize from a distance. But to prune, you have to get up close and personal. And you pick up that particular branch and you, get, you cut it in exactly the right spot. And so if you're being pruned right now by God and you're asking God, where are you in this? The answer is he's closer to you than ever, ever before. And that's a comfort, isn't it? 
Rachel and I often pray for pruning, which is a very dangerous prayer to pray. But as he prunes us, we experience his presence in ways that we've never experienced before. So church, we have a vine. His name is Jesus. We have a gardener who prunes us. His name is our Father. Here's the third and very quickly the third reason. The Spirit will bear his fruit in us. The Spirit will bear his fruit, will bear his fruit in us. So if the word abide comes 11 times, the word fruit comes 20 times. Verse 4. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Here's a promise. If you remain in me and I in you, if you abide in Jesus and he abides in you, you will bear much fruit. That's the promise. Remain in the vine and you'll produce fruit. You, you won't stop producing fruit. You can't stop producing fruit. The fruit just comes naturally out of you because you're close with Jesus. We should spot fruit in each other's lives. Now, when you walk past a healthy tree, you expect to see fruit. When you walk past a healthy Christian, you expect to see fruit. What is this fruit that he's talking about? Here's a quick, quick quiz for you. Apple trees bear apples. Orange trees bear oranges. Apricot trees bear apricots. Avocado trees bear avocado. And Jesus trees bear Jesus. People should see Jesus in and through us if we're bearing his fruit. What is the fruit of Jesus? It's the fruit of the Spirit, because the Spirit is another Jesus. And we know as a memory verse, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's not supposed to be a memory verse. It's supposed to ooze out of you. You're supposed to ooze out of you the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. Love, love for God, love for other people. That's the fruit that's supposed to ooze out of you as you stay close to Jesus. And twice he says, verse 12 and verse 17, love each other, love one another. That's the command, love. And you spot those people, you know, spot the people who, who just love incredibly well. They love all kinds of people. They love people who are not like them. They love people that they don't even like. They love people that the world struggles to like. But these people just love people. That is not their doing. That is Jesus in them. Jesus oozing out of them as they just just display love and bear love in people's lives. Same with joy. It comes in verse 11, a great promise in verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. The joy of Jesus living in them. And that your joy may be complete. Remember, joy is not happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is permanent. Joy is that deep-seated contentment and security in Jesus. And I think of people in this church sitting here tonight who are full of the joy of the Lord. That's because they walk closely with Jesus. Again, can I humbly say, if your life is lacking joy, it's likely that your life is lacking Jesus. So that's the fruit. It's your, your character. And Jesus wants you to be known more about the fruit of his spirit than the gifts of his spirit. Don't get that mixed up. You can have every gift of the spirit, but still not be walking closely with Jesus. There's a whole book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians written about that. 
But when you meet people and they ooze love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, you know they're walking closely with Jesus. And, and the promise is that when you're walking closely with Jesus, that your prayer life is radically transformed. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 16. You're appointed to go and bear fruit and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now, Jesus is not saying here, ask whatever you want and you'll get it. Ask for a harborside mansion and he'll give it to you. He is saying, if you remain in Jesus, abide in Jesus, you, you stay connected with Jesus, you start to pray the prayers that Jesus would pray. You start to pray the words that Jesus would, would pray to his heavenly Father for, for the church to grow, for wisdom, for maturity, for mission, for strength. You start to be aligned with the desires and will of your heavenly Father. That's what he's saying here. The more you abide in Jesus, the more that you bear fruit and the more that you pray in line with God's will. Spurgeon said, if you want that splendid power in prayer, you must remain in loving, living, lasting, conscious, practical, abiding union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want that? This fruit just oozes out of you. And what I love about this is that it's just natural. It's not hard work. Jesus causes the fruit to grow, not you. It's not about your striving, not about your efforts. It's about the Spirit just, just producing his, his fruit in you. John Stott said that the Christian life should resemble a fruit tree, not a Christmas tree. You know the difference between a fruit tree and a Christmas tree? The, on a fruit tree, the fruit grows, grows naturally. On a Christmas tree, you stick on the fruit and you stare at it. And too many Christians live like they're a Christmas tree, working hard to stick on love and stick on joy and stick on peace and stick on gentleness. But it's all religion and it's exhausting. But if you come to Jesus and stay with Jesus and stick with Jesus, then the fruit just flows naturally from you. Does that make sense? It shouldn't be that hard. The closer that you walk with Jesus, the closer you remain with Jesus, the more fruit he will bear in your life. So abide in Jesus. Because Jesus is the true vine. Your Father is the gardener and the Spirit will bear fruit in and through you. And then make sure you give God all the glory. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So if you're bearing fruit, please don't take a selfie and put it on Instagram and say, hey, look at me. If you're bearing fruit for God, make sure that God gets all the glory. Let me pray. Our Father, I want to thank you for the way that you tend to your branches, for the way that you, you pick us up when we are weary, and you, you prune us so that we might bear more fruit. And we dare to ask even tonight, Father God, that you might prune some of us here tonight. We dare to ask, Lord, that we might bear more and more and more fruit for your glory and do whatever it, needs, whatever it takes to do that, Lord. Father, we want to be a people, we want to be a church that is bearing much fruit for, for your name. And so please help us to keep abiding in Jesus, keep connected to Jesus and keep walking closely with him. And we are set for Jesus' sake.